Welcome, friends, to Leadosophy, here with an open mind, because that is the rule, and not the exception. A little royalty-free metal coming to your ears, because free is my favorite flavor, and Tim's a metalhead. Anyways, what are we going to talk about today? I'm, I'm really, really psyched for this show. We're going to talk about what leaders can provide, what should they provide in the workplace, in the organization, in the halls of the bureaucracy. We're going to talk about the fertile environment. What can you do as a leader to promote growth, to promote human flourishing? I love that word, those, those words, human flourishing, collective human flourishing, I like even better. So I hope you like this show. Here we go. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution, you are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of Leadosophy, Tim Wood. All right, friends, welcome back. You are on another episode of Leadosophy. We are talking about what leaders can provide in the workplace or what should they provide. We're going to keep this episode hopefully within the 15-minute time frame because I'm going to throw a lot of information out there about leadership, leaders creating a fertile environment for their for the workforce, what they can do to help those in the workforce grow, reach their potential, maybe exceed the potential that they thought was possible. That's what today is going to be about. We're going to use an infographic because I love infographics. They're visual. We're visual creatures. So I'm going to start this. You're looking at the screen. If you're, if you're watching, you can see the screen. If not, I'm starting off for my listeners. I'm starting off with some assumptions. So I'm going to go through the infographic very slowly. At the bottom, there's I have a list of things that the leaders can provide in the workplace. But before I get to that, I want to talk about some assumptions that I have, that Leadosophy has, that led to this creation of content of what the leaders should provide, can provide in the workplace. Assumption number one, pretty straightforward. Leaders should put more effort into improving the work environment, the systems and processes in that work environment. Less effort trying to fix people or their performance. So more effort on the systems and processes, whether they're good, whether they can be built upon, whether they should be scrapped because they're ineffective. More emphasis, on, more emphasis on systems and processes, less emphasis on the fixer mentality, like you're a doctor or a mechanic. I have to fix people, their personalities, their work ethic. The second assumption is humans are self-motivated. That is the base assumption I have as a leader in my work environment. Humans are self-motivated. They don't need carrots and sticks. Right, And we can go into the whole carrot stick theory. It's a whole theory put, put forth by Douglas McGregor. But the practical application in the workplace is if people are in their job, hopefully they're in that job for a reason, and they can motivate themselves intrinsically, vice extrinsically, or that motivation coming from outside, from a boss, from some corporate policy. Maybe it's a performance bonus. That's extrinsic motivation. 
And I continue with this assumption. The workforce wants to do their job well, with efficiency, with quality or craftsmanship, and without obstacles created by the bureaucracy. One example might be grand corporate ideas from those who will never feel the consequences from implementing these same grand ideas. That's just one of many, many obstacles created by the bureaucracy in a workplace. We can all, anyone who's been in a, in a job, whatever level of job, whatever type of job, we all know of policies or procedures that just continue to grow and grow and grow, encroach on the systems and processes, encroach on the way that people handle those systems and processes, whether they're time off policies and procedures or whatever that might be, right? I got a note up here on that assumption about humans are self-motivated. And the note says, what about a person who occupies an undesirable position or a job, undesirable job? And that can be either by choice or by force. Maybe this is different. Maybe someone who is in a job they don't like, they were, whether they were forced in the job or they took this job because they had to, whatever. Maybe they won't be as willing to trend towards self-motivation. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what the research says. And I, I have an open mind. I'm trying to have an open mind about that because... Again, I don't want to make that assumption that every single person is self-motivated because that's just not true. I don't think that's true anyways. I don't think that's practical in the workplace. I, I think we all have been around people in the workplace that are lacking in motivation, self-motivation. But that could be for myriad reasons. There could be hundreds of reasons why that might be, whether it's something going on in the personal life or you know, a personality conflict at work. Those are all you know, reasons that someone could not be self-motivated. Okay, the next assumption. A well-designed process should, and I emphasize should, improve or enhance human performance. Trying to improve poor human performance without examining the processes tied to that poor human performance will lead to disappointment. The workforce is only as good as the system's they are embedded within. I'm going to say that last sentence one more time. The workforce is only as good as the systems that they are embedded within. The next assumption. A workforce needs perpetual access to knowledge, tools, and resources so that they can maximize their growth potential. Leaders must remove barriers to this access. So for me, this is the KTR, knowledge, tools, and resources. Giving as much of those to the workforce as you can and removing barriers to any type of knowledge to, to tools or resources. To me, that's a job of the leader. That's one of the most important jobs of a leader if they are focusing on the environment that envelops the workforce. I, use, I often use the analogy of, of soil, right? This is focusing on the soil and not the plants. If you focus on the right soil conditions, nutrients, water, whatever it might be, removing pesticides, if you focus on the, the nutrients of the soil, hopefully the plants will be plentiful and they will reach their full potential. They will grow and grow well. 
The next assumption is as follows. There's a direct correlation between the quality of a product or service and the quality or dysfunction of processes that guide a product's quality or the quality of a delivered service. So a dysfunctional process, there's a, there's a direct correlation between that dysfunctional process and the product and service that comes from that. So if you have a poor process, unless you have some really good workarounds by the workforce, they find a way to circumvent the bad process, I submit there's a good chance you're going to have a, a dysfunctional quality of, of, of service or quality of product. Again, humans are simply the manipulators of processes, good or bad processes, efficient or wasteful processes. And my last assumption is simple, and it leads to the actual meat of this infographic. Leaders should give far more than they take. And then I ask the question, what can leaders provide? So we're going down to, the, like I said, the meat of this infographic here. And I have four areas or four things that the leaders can provide that creates a fertile work environment for growth and human flourishing. And those four areas are knowledge, resources, tools, and obstacle removal. So I guess instead of providing obstacle removal, I think they're providing obstacle removal. Maybe that's just too many words, but they're just removing obstacles, removing barriers from the workforce. That's all part of that fertile, fertile soil. So under knowledge, I just have some, some different ideas under each, four, each of the four concepts. Under knowledge, the leader must provide access to and give willingly things like technical competence. I talked, I did a whole uh, Leadosophy on the Road episode on technical competence, how from a leader's standpoint, technical competence is as important as leadership competence and I could argue in some cases more important, especially when there's maybe little face-to-face -face interaction between leader, leader and follower. Technical competence usually comes first, well before a person is even in a role of leadership, and then leadership competence follows later. But as a leader, you can help someone gain that technical competence, right? And then someone who is a budding leader, a follower who aspires to be a leader, you're showing them both in practice and theoretically what is the right way to lead, how to get the most effectiveness out of the workforce, hopefully kind of with the soil analogy approach. What else falls under knowledge that the leader can provide? Training, it's a big one. Whether it's technical training on the job or it's access to outside training that a person can, can go seek out themselves. Maybe it's even money, right? Maybe an organization, I know my organization gives X amount of money per year for employees to receive additional training that benefits them, benefits them in the workplace and benefits the organization, obviously. Team learning is a big part of knowledge. Putting people in positions where they're learning as a team, learning collectively. I always talk about co-creation of knowledge, deepening understandings, between team members, working on a project, a team project where hopefully your team can work on how to build effectiveness, team effectiveness. I believe that goes under, under knowledge. And lastly, I threw up stories. Why do I have stories? Because 
leaders can teach. I believe they can teach the followers based on stories they've, they have, especially stories of life lessons, leadership lessons, good and bad. We are a, a people, a species that has spent millennia telling stories, right? I believe every leader should try to tell stories in the workplace when they can, connecting that, that example to something maybe theoretical, which I, th- I think we do here sometimes on Leadosophy. So that's the knowledge category. That's how a leader can provide knowledge to the workforce, to their followers. I had to take a sip of coffee there, the elixir of, of Leadosophy. The next category is resources. Leaders can provide resources to the workforce. The first example I have up there are resources that are external to the organization. Maybe it's a another company that has, uh, they have someone that can help provide some sort of knowledge or training, right? That's an external resource. Other resources are policies, policies and procedures, refining policies or procedures, adding policies that can make the job better, or even taking away policies that are slowing the system down. I think any organization trends more towards adding more policies. It's like this default mindset where if you have a dysfunctional process or a system, the immediate thought is, well, we got to add a new policy. Maybe not. Maybe so, maybe not. But something you can look at. I think we should take away policies when we can that are limiting growth limiting intellectual freedom. Another resource that I think a leader can provide or provide a connection to is non-traditional team members, maybe someone on the other side of the organization in a different department. When you start cross-pollinating different departments with ideas, I think this also goes into the knowledge side. I think that's a resource that maybe leaders don't always look towards, team members in other departments. And again, maybe team members outside the organization that have common interests. And again, from a resource standpoint, leaders are providing access to these resources and they're seeking more of these resources whenever they can. The third category is tools. What tools can the leader provide? What tools can they improve? What tools can they upgrade for the people that work for them, for the followers? For the organization as a whole. You know, if you're if you're a CEO or a commanding officer, you're looking at the entire structure, the entire unit, the entire organization. What tools can I provide? So I have some examples like, and I have two redundant ones up there, and I apologize for that. I have workspace twice. So I think workspace is really important. Now that's actually a that's actually an error that Tim caught live here on Leadosophy. Thanks for the owl come in and, and let me know that. But yes, tools, workforce, or workspace. Sometimes just an, an inadequate workspace can really affect uh, growth in somebody. It can be very frustrating. And when someone's frustrated at work, where think about it, where they spend maybe 6, 8, 10, 12 hours a day, if their workspace is inefficient, if they're lacking equipment or whatever it might be in the, wor- in the workspace, 
if it's overcrowded, these are all things that are going to frustrate employees. And when employees are frustrated, they cannot reach their maximum potential unless it's by just sheer brute force. And I would say they'd have to really like their job to push past that workspace obstacle. A couple other examples I have up here, assets and equipment and software. I think software is, as we become more digitized, you know, my current job, we have so many different IT systems and software systems that talk to each other that we're relying upon, that we're dependent upon. If they're inefficient, it can really frustrate people, whether it's trying to put, you know, time off requests in, whether it's, um, you know, trying to take care of your HR records, your personal HR records, simple things that become can become super frustrating because you have inadequate software can again frustrate the staff, frustrates staff leads to an inability to, to achieve maximum growth. I want to go back to assets and equipment. This was really important back in the Coast Guard days where, you know, our, our boats that we conducted search and rescue on, that was our main asset. Our almost entirety of our jobs depended on how well that asset functioned or did not function. And on that asset, the boat itself, you have scores of different pieces of equipment, life-saving equipment, mechanical equipment, whatever it might be. All the all these pieces of equipment had to function symbiotically for a mission to be successful. Or hopefully, you know, and in most part function symbiotically and, and and successfully. But there's always upgrades you can do. Uh there's been multiple times in the Coast Guard where individual employees within the Coast Guard have have made uh, upgrades or they've innovated themselves. They've come up with a better piece of equipment from an older piece of equipment that wasn't quite effective. So assets and equipment, upgrading, reimagining, right? Rethinking how that equipment is used and finding better ways to use that equipment or improving upon that equipment. The last area is obstacle removal. You know, I talk about what leaders can provide they can provide the removal of obstacles. And I have five up here, just kind of random ones I threw up here. There's obviously more. The first one is unrealistic deadlines. I've seen, I've seen frustration boil, boil over because deadlines are implemented and they're just not realistic. So reimagining how we implement deadlines on projects, whatever it might be, goal achievement deadlines, I have to really think about that and make sure it's realistic. Again, faulty processes. I'm a firm believer in fix the process and that'll kind of take care of the people a little bit. Instead of vice versa, always trying to fix the people, they're still going to be tied to a faulty process. And then you just, again, you're just going to get frustrated. And that's the going back to the assumption in the beginning. I think there's some carrots and sticks we can remove from the workplace. Uh, I think sometimes our default mode is we have to entice employees with maybe it's a certain bonus or whatever, you know, certain efficiency percentage they have to hit when they're making widgets of any kind. I think sometimes that can demotivate people more than they can motivate people. And again, this is back to the, the basic assumption that 
Your workforce is inherently self-motivated. I think we can remove redundancy and efficiency. And again, this probably goes back to processes, but how many redundant processes do we have? How much inefficiency do we have in the workplace? Are we looking for that as a leader? Are the people that we lead, are they looking for that stuff? And if they're seeing this redundancy or inefficiency, are they bringing it to your attention? And if they're bringing it to your attention, are you acting on it? And the last one I have up here as far as removal of obstacles, communication barriers. This is a big one. We've all seen it within different silos of an organization. One department doesn't talk to the other and just leads, again, to frustration, can lead to redundancy and inefficiency when you're doing things twice because person A didn't think person B was doing it and a whole host of other problems. Faulty processes can maybe result or result from faulty communication barriers or communication barriers. I think those, the faulty processes and communication barriers can kind of work together to create some problems. So as a leader, you look, what are the barriers, communication barriers in your organization? Again, are you looking for those? Are people bringing those to your attention? And are you acting upon those communication barriers? So there you go. That's the nitty gritty. So four areas that the leader, things that the leaders can provide, knowledge, resources, tools, and the removal of obstacles. And again, this was based on some assumptions I had that I talked talked about in the beginning. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I, I was trying to keep this under about 15 minutes. I think I succeeded. A lot of information in here, a lot of things to think about. Again, fertile soil, nutrient-rich soil will allow the plants to grow, right? Focus more on the soil, less on trying to make the plants grow. Just give them the soil. Right. On a side note, but it's equally important, this doesn't absolve the leader from his or her responsibility from developing solid, trustworthy human relationships. Right. That's a whole different side of this. This is more focused on the things that we can provide to the workforce, but you still have to go out and develop those relationships. The nitty gritty. You have to go and ask somebody how they're doing. How's your day? How's your dog? How's your spouse? Did you enjoy your trip to Aspen with the kids? Whatever it might be, it's that day-to-day grind of, and I say grind, but it's, I say grind in the, in the fact that you just got to do it every single day. You got to establish connective relationships. You got you to gotta act like you care, right? Genuine. Again, that's focusing on the plants not the soil. So what do you think about this episode? I encourage you to check out leadosophy.com if you haven't. Read some of the blogs. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you think. Remember, leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership and in life. I would submit leadosophy is also about life, not just leadership. All right, hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.